Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, one more time. He is risen. Yes, praise God that Christ is risen. On Friday, we were together here for a very different sort of service. We came together to remember and mourn the horrific suffering and death of Jesus Christ. For most of my life, um, I didn't really understand what Good Friday is all about. I mean, I knew that it was about Easter and Christ's death on the cross and about God's plan of salvation for all of humanity being enacted. I knew that this was the pinnacle of what we as Christians believe. But over the past few years, Good Friday has shifted into something a lot more personal for me and beautiful in the make-your-heart-hurt sort of way. Uh, This shift happened when I realized that Good Friday, a Good Friday service, is actually a funeral, a time for those who love Jesus to come together, remember the life he lived, the love he showed, the freedom he gave, and the horrific death he died. We're often quick to skip past that part, though. We want to skip past the pain and the grief because we know that this story actually has a happy ending. We know that even though it's Friday, Sunday is coming. But I think something important happens when we do the hard work of mourning, when we sit with the sorrow and grief of acknowledging the horror that we took part in killing God. I know that we, you and I, weren't physically there that day. And maybe when reading the story and putting yourself in it, you're convinced that you wouldn't have been among the Pharisees and leaders of the law who worked to have Jesus condemned to death. That you wouldn't have been among the crowds shouting, crucify him, crucify him or even among his disciples who fled and disowned him. Maybe you're sure that you would have been there along the road to wipe his brow as he carried the cross up the hill, or that you would have been there at the foot of the cross with John and the women, letting him feel your presence and love and support as he went through his most trying times. Surely it wasn't you who took part in killing God that day. But in an entirely different sense, regardless of where you would have been in the story or the fact that you weren't there at all, it was you. It was all of us. And it's important for us to sit with the sorrow of what happened. It's important for us to take time to really look at Jesus, at what he suffered, what he paid for with his own blood. As those who love him, it's important for us to be there to honor his life, to remember and to mourn. We have to work through the darkness and grief of Friday and Saturday in order to get to here, to Sunday, and have our heavy and broken hearts lifted in gladness as we discover with wonder that the tomb is empty and declare that Christ is risen. So it's from this heavy place of grief that we come to our text this morning. As we read, I want to encourage you as much as possible 
to take in the words and put yourself in the story. This is such a familiar story to many of us, one that we read every single year. And so it's easy for us to skim over it due to familiarity. But this story is miraculous and incredible. Even though we know that the tomb is empty and why, let's start from that place of death and heartbreak and confusion and grief that the women and the disciples were in. I'm going to ask Tim and Emily to come read our scripture. We will be reading from John chapter 20, starting with verse 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. They have taken, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so that the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. 
though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We celebrate Easter morning with peace and joy because we know the end of this story. We know why Jesus' tomb was empty and his body was missing. But that first Easter morning was filled with very different emotions. They hadn't read the end of the story like we have. So think about it. These people had given up three years of their lives to follow Christ. Each one had left their family, their possessions. They left everything because they were convinced that Jesus was the one they had been waiting for, the Messiah. If we flip back earlier in in the Gospel of John, we read about the hope that they started this journey with. Um, It says the next day, John John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Then, two, then the two disi- when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard that what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, the one about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This had all started with so much hope. Everything they knew about the coming Messiah seemed to point to this Jesus of Nazareth. His teaching was unlike any they had ever heard before. He performed miracles, lame men walked, the blind could see. He spoke of his kingdom, which was at hand. Freedom was coming for God's people. This was it. They were part of a revolution. And even when Jesus' message had gotten hard and loads of other followers turned away, these ones had stayed. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. He had the words of eternal life. Whom else would they go to? They'd been so sure. But now the one they had put all their hope in was dead. This was not their plan. Was this it? 
had they been wrong. It's not hard to imagine the emotion, heartbreak, despair, hopelessness that they would have felt as they came to terms with Christ's death. Hide away in an upper room and start trying to figure out what this means for their lives. But then something completely unexpected happens. In her grief, Mary goes to Christ's tomb early that third morning, bringing spices so she can anoint and prepare Christ's body for death. You see, Mary had found personal healing and redemption, a second chance in the love of Christ. And in the absence of Christ in her life, Mary is doing the only thing she can think of to do, take care of his physical body. But to add to her distress and grief, when she gets there, she finds that his tomb is open and his body is missing. Distraught, she runs to tell the other disciples of this added horror. Peter and John take off running. John gets there first, but stops just before entering. And you can almost picture him, his mind racing at the sight of the empty tomb, looking at the grave clothes just lying there. It's almost like he knows that something big is happening, but he can't quite grasp it, and therefore he hesitates to enter. Peter also running to the tomb and pushing past John as he stumbles in. Peter, who's always the first to do everything, and always the one to put his foot in his mouth. Peter mourns and grieves the loss of his Lord, the Messiah, but is without a doubt also still feeling the guilt and shame of denying him. He had been so sure that if death was going to be the end of his Lord, then he'd be right there dying beside him. And yet, just like Jesus had said, when it came down to it, he was the one who denied even knowing him. That first Easter morning began not with joy and cheer that we start this day with, but with confusion and despair. And praise God that we see this turnaround as Mary, still searching desperately for Christ's body, finds not his cold, dead corpse, but her living, breathing Savior. Jesus is alive. Christ is risen. She goes to the other disciples and shares this good news, just like Jesus told her to. But in Luke's gospel, we read that they don't believe her. She sounds to them like a crazy woman. And who can blame them? I mean, they physically saw Christ die. And he didn't just die a normal death. He had been tortured and beaten beyond recognition. They witnessed his brutal death as he took his last breath on the cross. They saw Christ die. How could it possibly be true that Christ was now alive? But that evening when they were together and the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He showed them his physical wounds and signs of his death. He breathed on them, and the scripture tells us they received the Holy Spirit. Then Thomas, who wasn't there when the others saw Christ, and who to this day gets a bad rap for doubting and not believing the reports of the others, but was really no different than those who didn't believe Mary when she reported that Christ was alive, he too sees Christ alive and believes. Man, what a beautiful and gripping and emotional story. But as beautiful as it is, I doubt that Jesus' followers really understood what had happened as their hearts leapt with joy at the sight of their Lord alive that first Easter. I doubt they understood the extent of what his tragic death and triumphant resurrection meant for them and for all of humanity. You see, they would come to understand. In fact, once they understood, each one of them would give their entire lives to making sure people knew about what Christ had done. 
But at this point, it was too soon for them to comprehend what we know today and what Jesus tried to tell them just a few evenings earlier when he took the Passover bread and wine, symbols that spoke of the blood of the sacrificial lamb that took the death of their own people upon itself and the freedom that God brought. Jesus took these symbols and gave them new meaning. And so we read from a few days before this happened, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclining at the, at the table, reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. These are familiar words to us, but Jesus was changing everything about the familiar words for his disciples. Jesus took this 1,500-year-old tradition that was used to remember and celebrate God protecting them using the blood of a lamb painted over the doorposts, causing the angel of death to pass over their homes and allow their firstborn to live while so many others died. This was an old, old tradition and one that every little Jewish boy and girl learned. And what Jesus is saying here would have sounded crazy to the disciples. <laughs> Just this morning it came up about how we like tradition. We like things to stay the same. And so these disciples hearing this would have been like, uh, Jesus, what do you mean this bread is your body and this cup is your blood? Don't you know what Passover is about? It's not about you and your body. It's about what God did in Egypt. But here Jesus is hijacking it and making it about himself. And the new covenant that he, the Holy One of Israel, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, is doing for them. Jesus is redefining what salvation looks like. We used to have a physical oppressor in Egypt that God delivered us from, but I'm doing something much more significant. Through my suffering, I'm coming to bring freedom for all of humanity. This is the cup of the new covenant that my broken body and poured out blood will bring to you. Author and pastor Murray Andrew Pura describes Christ's crucifixion and resurrection as ushering in a second exodus, comparable to the first exodus that took place under Moses, the one we've been talking about for the past few weeks, full of miraculous signs and wonders as God makes himself known to his people and to the whole world. 
that had God working for the freedom of his people while they just stood back and watched. But here we see that Jesus' death and resurrection brought about an even greater exodus than the first because this exodus is not led by Moses, but by the Messiah. And this Messiah will liberate from slavery not only the Hebrew people, the Jews, but all people of all races, male and female, rich and poor, young and old, all generations who choose to believe in Jesus as Messiah, Savior, and Lord. Jesus our sacrificial lamb, the Holy One of God, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The good news of the cross and the empty grave is that God loved us enough to take his sin, our sin upon himself. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new has, creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting God's not counting people's sin against them. This freedom offered isn't limited to a breaking of the physical chains of slavery. It is extended to all forms of slavery that sin and evil used to bind, used to bind the human spirit. It brings the promise of unending life and love and liberty, as well as un unfettered relationship with God. The exodus of which Christ is not only the leader and catalyst, but also the sacrifice, brings about the creation of the church, a community comprised of an eclectic mix of persons that proves the inclusiveness of God's love and justice. This is so much more than the disciples could grasp in those early days and months of life with a resurrected Messiah. But as the story continues, this group of Jesus' first followers are turned into an unstoppable force that changes the world. And praise God that John and Peter and Mary and Thomas and all the other disciples understood that Christ had not only saved them, but was sending them to share his redemption with the world. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be sitting here over 2,000 years later still talking about our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus. But this Jesus, the one who died for our sins and rose from the grave, who lives present tense so that we might also live, has been actively at work in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit ever since, and he invites us to be part of this story too. As we live in the presence and fullness of his loving sacrifice, allowing him to move and work in our lives, 
bringing healing to our brokenness and transforming us into the men and women he created us to be, we become part of the redemptive work he's doing in the people and world around us. If we believe the scripture that we've just read, or as Paul so clearly states it in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we believe this, which for real, this is amazing, then that changes everything. Paul doesn't end the scripture there. He continues it by saying, how can they call on the one who they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? Christ is risen. Today we are celebrating and rejoicing in the good news of the empty tomb of our living Savior. And let's fully celebrate that. But let's not forget that Jesus came to save the whole of humanity, all of his broken creation. As the team comes back up, I just want to say that if we believe that he is who he says he is, if we believe in his death and resurrection, then God actually calls us, his followers, to join those first disciples and all of his other followers over these past 2,000 years to share this good news with others so that they too can be freed from the shackles of death, call on the name of Jesus, and have life. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that, yeah, that you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you love your creation, and you have done everything in order for us to be able to come to you openly and freely. And God, I thank you that even though so long ago this day that we celebrate started with heartbreak and sorrow and grief and despair, that that did turn around, that as, as, as your disciples discovered the stone rolled away and the empty tomb as they experienced the presence of their living, resurrected Lord, Yeah, they understood that you, their Lord and Savior, are are the Lamb of God and and have paid the ultimate price in order to show us your great love for for us. And so, God, I pray for each one in here. Um, You know where our hearts and our minds are at. You know whether we're far from you or or near to you. You know how, how well we understand what it means to live with you as our Lord and Master and Savior. And, and so, Holy Spirit, even now, I, I pray that you would be at work in this place, that you would be at work in our hearts and our minds, that you would be drawing us closer and closer to you, that as we experience your love, yeah, that you would, you would continue your work of redemption in us, that, that the old would be gone and that the new would be here for each one of us, that that would be our story. And God, I pray that, yeah, the resurrection and the cross, it, it really, in a lot of ways, is a mystery to us. And yet we know that, that it speaks of forgiveness and love. And so, God, I pray that as we go about our lives, that we would be resurrection people, that we would be the people who are your hands and feet in this world, sharing your hope of good news, 
the good news that you are at work healing brokenness, bringing light to the darkness. God, I, I thank you and I pray that that would be our stories and that we would be the people who, who pass that on in the world that we live in. And so, God, I thank you again for the sacrifice that you made, the death that you died, so that we could be free. In your holy name I pray this. Amen. Thank you for listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.